Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with another Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back, and we're here to talk all things NXT and AEW after another great night of wrestling television. We have an absolutely loaded show ahead, primarily because you guys flooded the DMs following NXT with the company building towards NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. So we actually do have an absolute ton to talk about on today's show. You know, I normally give a little bit of an overview about both programs before we kind of get into talking about each of them. And by the way, a reminder, if you only watch one show or the other, we do have timestamps in every single episode. That way you can jump into the review for that specific show. But of course, I do suggest that you watch both and listen to the entire episode. Just putting that out there. Uh, This week, I gotta say, AEW, a big step down from last week's show. I think last week they absolutely crushed it. As I said, the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match was certainly a nice bow, a spectacular bow, actually, on what was a very good episode. This week, not so much uh, a step backwards, I would say, just kind of monotonous, repetitive, um, a little bit boring. NXT just knocked it out of the park. Every single segment, or maybe not every segment, but at least once a half hour, they had me go, whoa, that's awesome, right? And for a wrestling television show to do that so consistently over two hours deserves a lot of praise. So we're talking NXT, we're talking NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver, and we are talking AEW all on today's show. Before we get to all of that, you guys know we got to take care of a little business here. The first is a reminder, very simply, follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We release every episode, talk about wrestling all week and have polls for you to participate in on that account at Getting Overcast. And you guys can also send in DMs and tweets and ask questions that will get read on the show. And you will see that or hear that, I guess, plenty over the course of today's show. And of course, the second part of our business that we take care of. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. It's a reminder to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show. That way we bump up in the, in the rankings and we get more listeners, and the show is successful, and all of that is exceptionally important to the Silver King, and hopefully to you as mostly long-term listeners. I would definitely appreciate that. If I do sound different, by the way, on today's show, I should note, I got the second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, the Moderna one, uh, Wednesday morning. My arm is killing me. I didn't sleep very well. I don't have any major symptoms coming out of it. There's some talk that you can get a fever and all this type of stuff, but I am lethargic. So uh, energy level may be down a little bit. I also like tore a muscle in the upper part, like the wing, the right side of my body um, behind my shoulder. I don't necessarily know how to deal with that. So Silver King's hurting today uh, and I'm just trying to power through this. So please bear with me if, you know, again, the energy level may be down a little bit, but hopefully the content is still there to keep you guys engaged. So let's start as we normally do with NXT. And like I said, we got a lot to talk about from the world of NXT. And let's start with that main event segment and the biggest storyline currently on the show, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Going into NXT on Wednesday, we were basically told that William Regal, the general manager, would rule on what's gonna happen to keep these kind of guys contained and set for a fight, presumably at TakeOver Stand and Deliver. So 
Before they actually got into new stuff, they showed a clip of Cole attacking O'Reilly while he was in jiu-jitsu training earlier in the week. Roderick Strong backstage told O'Reilly to kick Cole's ass for both of them, and O'Reilly said there is no more us. Strong told him they can basically both go to hell. Cameron Grimes later wanted to buy the Undisputed Era trademarks from Strong, but got knocked out of his chair just for asking. So obviously, sooner than later, we'll get a Strong and Cameron Grimes match. But in the main event segment, that's really the the business that we need to talk about. Uh, Regal went absolutely ballistic on Cole and O'Reilly for embarrassing NXT as they were sitting across from each other at a pretty long table with security standing all around them. Cole said O'Reilly made him realize Undisputed Era was holding him back, that he was a lapdog for offering Balor a spot in the faction. Cole said UE was never about brotherhood, but just about him becoming a star and becoming the best in the industry. Cole said O'Reilly would never be in WWE without him, and both Undisputed Era and O'Reilly were nothing without him. So Cole absolutely crushed his promo. It was just ridiculously awesome. O'Reilly came back and said they both became stars in NXT, uh, but he became a better person, and Cole is the same asshole that he's always been. O'Reilly said he sold his soul for Undisputed Era, and he wants it back. He called Cole an insecure prick and said he will do whatever is necessary to put him down for good. Not as strong as Cole's promo, but it was also great. After O'Reilly signed the contract, they were held back uh, by the shoulders while screaming at each other in their faces. It was a fantastic visual to end the show. It'll be something great that they surely will use on the video package on the TakeOver show. Uh, But it just felt like this was missing a stronger stipulation. In fact, neither William Regal nor Cole nor O'Reilly mentioned it was an unsanctioned match. The person who did was at the very end of the show as it was going off the air. Vic Joseph mentioned, hey, this is an unsanctioned match. Now, we've seen that before. And I'm not saying it'll be bad, but it's not particularly exciting. We've seen them. We know what those are. Um, Something that NXT hasn't done, I don't think ever, or at least hasn't done in years, has been a loser leaves town match, which is really based on the storyline, what this should be. It should be Cole willing to say, I own NXT and I want you out of it. And O'Reilly needing to say, hey, NXT's moved on past you and I'm here to take you out for good. So other than that, the booking has been fantastic. And the thing I'll add is I tweeted this on our account at Getting Overcast. After the show went off the air, O'Reilly was in the ring calling out Cole. They did another segment, basically an extra segment. Cole came charging at him started punching all the security guards that were trying to like stop him and he was kicking them. And then William Regal grabbed him and he punched William Regal in the face. I don't know why that wasn't on television. That's a big moment. Now, I know they try to put some special things on social media, but the face-to-face was great and it was a great way to end the show. But but Adam Cole punching William Regal. I mean, fans were popping all over Twitter for that. I saw people on Reddit going nuts about it. I don't know why that wasn't part of it. And that leads into a double DM that we got from jmags at jmags13 and brian at b underscore rye underscore n64. I'll just read them both combined because it's basically the same question. Uh, Give me a percentage that this will be Cole Swansong in NXT and he shows up on the main roster after WrestleMania, parentheses, hopefully SmackDown. And the second message was, what are the chances that Regal adds a loser leaves town stipulation? I see this as Cole giving O'Reilly the rub and possibly moving up to Raw and challenging McIntyre maybe even debuting similarly to how he debuted in NXT by attacking McIntyre with some help. So these are great questions, right? And I'm of the same mindset here is this really does need that added 
loser leaves NXT stipulation. But look, we're only really one NXT show away, a go-home show really, before TakeOver because the, the Wednesday before the TakeOver is a TakeOver itself. So next Wednesday is a go-home show and we're going to have to wait an entire week for TakeOver to happen after that. Now, I think it's very possible that they add such a stipulation or a different type of stipulation that also makes this exciting. It does feel like it's missing that. It does feel like it's being built for that reason. So percent chance, I'd love to go, you know, 95%, right? But it's weird that that wasn't announced this week. Like they could have done unsanctioned, done all that stuff that we just talked about that happened on the show. And then Regal, as the show is going off the air, knowing he can't contain these guys, grabs the mic and says, not only is this an unsanctioned match, the loser will leave NXT for good. That would have been an exceedingly hot ending to the show. Then next week, you have them cutting promos about how they're going to take over NXT and make this other person leave, so on and so forth. Instead, it seems almost a little bit, tiny bit anticlimactic that that may get announced next week. So because of that, I can't be at 95%. I'm not really sure that they're going to do it. I guess 60%? 60% chance, I'd say, this is Cole's last match in NXT. It seems like it's the right match. It seems like it's the right booking, but I'm not sure about the timing of it. So we'll have to see what happens. But plenty else happened in NXT on Wednesday that we need to talk about. Io Shirai and Zoe Stark faced Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez in a tag team match. Really exciting wrestling here. Shirai landed her moonsault outside, taking herself out. Gonzalez hit the choke bomb finisher, but didn't cover for some reason on Stark. She waited for Shirai to get back onto the ring apron, kicked her off with Stark in her arms, and then hit the choke bomb finisher again, pinned her for the win. It was a clunky finish. I think she forgot the spot and went too early. Kai distracted Shirai afterward, and Gonzalez picked her up outside from a gut wrench position for another choke bomb uh, into the top of the announcer table. Uh, looked kind of brutal. Gonzalez looked strong, which was the key to the entire thing. It was good, but it probably should have been better. And I hope they amp it up a little bit further next week on that go-home NXT. We had Ellie Knight against Bronson Reed in a singles match. Knight cut a short promo backstage. It was pretty good. Reed got a lot of offense in and was dominant throughout the match. Knight tried to run up the ropes to superplex Reed when he was up there, but Reed simply pushed him down with one hand and hit the tsunami for the win. I was utterly shocked that they booked Reed to win considering Knight just debuted. It's very rare that any company will do that, let alone NXT, when you have a guy like Eli Drake who you're bringing in and trying to build. But I appreciated it. Uh, NXT has a tendency not to always book matches to expectation. I'm forgetting the show, but they did a special episode on TV not too long ago where like two or three of the matches were the exact opposite booking that I expected. And I love that NXT will do that for us. AEW actually did that this week in one match in particular as well that I found pretty interesting. Uh, But it was just good stuff. Reed looked really good here. He got back some of the mojo that he's kind of lost. I think it's a bit of a surprise if I told you Bronson Reed has won seven of his last eight and eight of his last 10 matches. You'd probably think that's not the case. And if so, why isn't he being pushed harder? It's just that a lot of the wins have come against opponents that haven't ultimately mattered too much in the grand scheme of things. And he was in a multi-man, I think it was a multi-man North American title match or a number one contender match, lost that. So he never got the opportunity. But I do find it interesting that they had Reed go over LA Knight here. And I tweeted this, you can certainly go over to our Twitter account. But if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times already. 
the whole package of LA Knight doesn't work for me. The name sucks. The logo looks like an old SmackDown logo. The way where he like, his promo work is good. He's good on the mic. But the stuff that he's been saddled with, like pointing LA Knight and repeating the same catchphrase to start and end the promos. I know The Rock repeated all his catchphrases, right? I know Stone Cold Steve Austin repeated catchphrases and other people have done this as well. Triple H and DX opened every promo with the exact same deal, you know, for years. But there's something about the presentation of LA Knight, again, the name, the logo, the ring gear. He doesn't seem, he's supposed to be a big deal, this flashy Hollywood guy. And he doesn't seem like anything special at all. He's almost like Roderick Strong, but a worse wrestler and much better promo. It's just like a guy that's there where he doesn't have the total package. So I don't know, man. I got to say, if it was me, I I would kind of cut my losses. I'm not saying to fire the guy, but I would take him off TV for two months and repackage him. It just, I don't think it's going to work. And I don't know how many more opportunities they kind of want to you know, give this guy to make this gimmick work. I don't think fans are buying it. Maybe some like it, but I think I speak for the majority when I say it just doesn't work. And it's really weird, questionable, and surprising that they can come up with a gimmick like Carrying Cross, which is so exciting and over the top. And you may not like him as a wrestler, but you can't deny that it looks great. And then LA Knight, where it's just like, I don't know, something that should have happened like 30 years ago. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it's modern. It doesn't fit. I'd much rather this guy try to be an influencer or some type of guru or something like that, rather than just a guy who, hey, I'm popular and flashy and I wear expensive jackets. We have too many of those. We've had too many of those throughout the entirety of professional wrestling. All right, that's my LA Knight rant. I'm going to get off of it. And for those of you who are like, hey, he criticizes Sting every week while he talks AEW. I criticize LA Knight every single week while talking NXT. There's things I don't like and you're going to hear them. Okay, rant over. I'm going to move on. Uh, Regal also announced that NXT tag team titles would be vacated on social media earlier in the week. And NXT announced on the show, Vic Joseph basically just announced that MSK, Grizzle Young Veterans, and Legato Del Fantasma would fight for the titles in a triple threat match, a takeover, stand and deliver. Now, I know Regal had a lot of things to announce on the show, so they probably just wanted to do this in a different way, but he's the general manager. I would have much rather had him announce it than just Vic Joseph kind of saying it. It felt like a missed opportunity to do something also a little bit more special. I don't know why they're going with the triple threat here when Brizongo had been just as involved in this foursome of matches. We thought we were going to get an eight-man tag team match and it should be a four-team elimination match or something like that, like a fatal four-way elimination. So I don't really know why they're doing it. But what is good to hear is that MSK is healed. Uh, Wesley, I guess his hand is okay. And the teams that are chosen for this, Grizzled Young Veterans and MSK, one of those should be the next champions. We know this. And Legado del Fantasma is a group that we want pushed stronger. And they've been getting that opportunity. They've won tag team matches recently, and now they're going to be in a tag team title match. So the effort and the work rate of this match is going to be absolutely outstanding. Can't wait for it. Karrion Cross faced Oni Lorcan. This was a revenge match for Danny Burch, who, by the way, will be out six months or longer with a separated shoulder. They gave Lorcan a bit of a run, but Cross finished with the Saito suplex and that forearm finisher that is just awful. Uh, it was a good match, though. It was entertaining and really hard hitting. Cross got cut under his chin, like near the end of the match. Oni Lorcan was uh, throwing like flying European uppercuts at him, and blood was dripping like from under his chin, down his neck, and down the middle of his chest during a post match promo that 
was an exceptional visual. I mean, I know it wasn't on purpose, but it looked freaking awesome. Uh, Cross said Finn Balor didn't deserve the respect he was given. Lorcan was selling like a mofo at ringside to the point that Balor had to step over him on the way to the ring. Got inside, he said. Cross proved that Scarlet was his weakness last week. Balor said he would push Cross at takeover to where he's either decides to master his own emotions or his emotions master him. It was a strong promo, great face, face-to-face segment in the ring. And it was also good that they didn't come to blows. Vic Joseph, by the way, deserves some credit. He sold the hell out of this match on commentary. Like after they spoke and while they were staring at each other, he did a fantastic job. Regal in the show later announced the North American Championship would be defended at TakeOver after a 12-man battle royal and six-man gauntlet eliminator match. The competitors are definitely the right names. At first, I was disappointed that there would not be a stipulation for the North American title match itself with multiple competitors vying for it. We think about all the great North American title matches, you know, Fatal 4-Ways, the ladder match, all the type of things that we've had. But with it being a night one takeover match to determine the number one contender, that in and of itself is a stipulation with the title then being defended on night two. So it's really tough to complain about that when they are really giving us a stipulation on night one, and it carries over into night two, which we hope that they would do. We hope that they would do some type of number one contendership where someone would defend their title twice, something like New Japan does. And, and, and NXT is absolutely doing it. Johnny Gargano later in the show bust into Regal's office, upset that he would only have 24 hours to prepare for his opponent. He was entertaining as usual. He called him cuckoo bananas. It, it was also cool. Um, Regal on his desk, I think I've mentioned it before. He has like a little elevated platform that has red velvet on it, and then his nun, his knucks, his uh, brass knuckles sitting right on top of it, like for easy use. Like if he ever, someone barges into his office, he needs a weapon, he can just grab him right off of there and go at it. The only thing that's weird about Regal's office, it's like it's in a closet and he's the general manager. They're in the PC. You would expect him to have like a really nice office or at least something a little bit better. Maybe he does all of his meetings in the boardroom or something. It's just weird to me that he's in this little closet with all black walls. It feels like the general manager of NXT should have something better. But this was a good segment. Ultimately, I think it's a good piece of booking. Walter faced Drake Maverick. There was a video package with NXT people putting over how dominant Walter has been on that brand. It was good for an audience not really familiar with him to get a clearer picture of who Walter is and what he's about. Maverick was shown threatening Imperium with a crowbar to tell him where Killian Dane is located. So the storyline is they basically either kidnapped, beat down, or convinced Killian Dane and Timothy Thatcher to join them. So that's something that's obviously going to play out over the next few weeks. Walter stepped in, and that set up the match for the show. Walter powerbombed Maverick to hell, like right after the bell, knocking him out cold. And as he was putting a submission on, I think it was a single leg grab, the referee just called the match, um, basically with the referee stoppage as the decision. It was a bit disappointing, I have to say. I wanted to see Walter like toss Maverick around, slap him, beat the shit out of him, the stuff that Walter can do with a smaller guy. And I guess they just didn't want to bury Maverick to that degree, which is why they didn't do it. But nevertheless, I thought it would be something pretty cool. Tommaso Ciampa's music hit. He was wearing Timothy Thatcher's t-shirt and entered the ring despite it being three on one. He immediately challenged Walter for the NXT UK championship. Walter walked away before answering, but Ciampa basically grabbed him. They all attacked and Ciampa got leveled. Walter then officially accepted. And holy shit, uh, that match... It is going to bang. It's not exactly like... Because if we're being honest, Champa isn't necessarily that 
meaty, right? He's not a big guy, but he is a strong guy. And I do think this is going to be a very old school slugfest type of match along the lines of Walter Isla Dragunov, which if you have not seen that from NXT UK this year, you need to make sure you see that. So ultimately, not necessarily big meaty men slapping meat, but... I do think we will ultimately get meat from it. I got a DM slide from P. Turnigan at P. Turnigan. This is the one I mentioned I got on Tuesday, but I didn't feel it felt it fit right in the WWE show, so I wanted to put it on here. He said, Silver King, do you think NXT UK gets anything for WrestleMania weekend? Also, who do you think should finally take the title off Walter? If I was booking the damn territory, I'd move Aleister Black there and have him be the next champion since he seems to be a forgotten man again. So it's a good question, and it actually sets up an interesting scenario. So they are actually doing an NXT UK event, and I don't blame you for not missing it because it hasn't been advertised very well. NXT UK Prelude, ahead of the second night of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. You have to remember, in the UK, the shows air at like 3 or 4 p.m. Eastern. So it literally will be almost like a pre-kickoff show, kickoff show. And there's going to be a couple matches on there. One of them is Walter defending the NXT UK Championship against Rampage Brown. So it seems pretty weird that he's going to be defending the title on that show, even though it's taped, but also defending the title against Champa at TakeOver Stand and Deliver. It makes me think, because I don't think Champa is going to beat him for the title, it really should be a non-title match at TakeOver. So it is some confusing booking. I don't know how they're going to explain it. Maybe they'll move the match around somehow. But... Yeah, it is. it did create a little bit of an issue for NXT and they need to be smarter, I think, when they deal with NXT UK and NXT to make sure the storylines match up. As far as Aleister Black, I don't think he wants to go to the United Kingdom when he's married now and living in the United States. That would probably require Zelina Vega to go over there, but he is from Amsterdam. So if she is interested in going over to Europe, I mean, that would make a lot of sense and Aleister Black beating Walter would be a good answer, but I don't know the answer Maybe it's Isla Dragunov if he's able to rebuild himself based on the character he's currently doing. Maybe it's Tyler Bate coming back and being able to beat him. Maybe it's Pete Dunne, but I don't see why you would put Pete Dunne back over in the United Kingdom. They don't seem to really have a single person who makes sense to take the title off Walter right now. And, you know, it's been a very long title reign and you do wonder who that person is going to be. I don't have that answer. And uh, look, maybe it's someone surprising, Killian Dane or Timothy Thatcher we just don't see it coming. Maybe that's the long-term storyline. But yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question exactly. Uh, we have the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship defended Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart, the champions, against Mercedes Martinez and Aaliyah. So Jesse Cameo was supposed to be in this match. She got injured. Robert Stone paid off Martinez to take her place. Martinez got knocked out of the ring and Moon kind of hit like an eclipse on Aaliyah, but she missed it a little bit for the win. This was nothing special at all. It was actually a pretty bad match. The way approached backstage and challenged, saying it would happen their way this time. Presumably that will happen at TakeOver, I think on night two, but they're probably waiting for next week to announce it so that way they have something exciting on the show in addition to building all the storylines on the Go Home Show. We had Jordan Devlin against Kushida in a non-title match. Devlin backstage said he would make an example out of Kushida before facing Santos Escobar in a couple of weeks. Kushida cut a promo in Japanese backstage pre-taped called himself the best technical wrestler in NXT, which one would assume is going to set up the Pete Dunne match coming up in the future. Uh, Dunne later cut a promo saying no one has stepped up to his 
Technical Wrestler Challenge. So he'll win the North American title at TakeOver instead. So again, all kind of fitting together here. Legado del Fantasma during the match distracted Devlin while he was on the top rope. Kushida caught him with a superplex into a falcon arrow into an arm bar. So like the Seth Rollins, you know, deal plus an arm bar at the end. It was pretty cool. Legato trapped him outside, but he escaped. Kushida took them out, then got folded over in a distraction for the one, two, three. Kushida went nuts and took out Legato. Escobar and Devlin squared off in the ring when suddenly out of nowhere, Shawn Michaels' music hits. He walks over to the ring, lifts up the apron, grabs a ladder out, and tosses it in the ring. And Silver King can do a full two-handed, let's say, Barry Horowitz here because we nailed this absolutely perfectly on last week's show. You cannot have a title unification match, and you really shouldn't have a vacant title match, but a title unification match with two people both claiming to be champion without calling back to WrestleMania 10 and making it a ladder match. And I believe, I, I think I said Shawn Michaels needed to be the one to make it that match. He freaking did absolutely perfect piece of booking. It wasn't even so much a prediction as it was something I wanted to happen that I thought they were missing the boat on. NXT freaking nailed it. So you're going to get Santos freaking Escobar against Jordan Devlin in a ladder match at NXT TakeOver, stand and deliver. And man, oh man, I am excited about that. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. Now, as far as NXT TakeOver, stand and deliver, this is how it is shaping up. Night one, April 7th on the USA Network, we have the Women's Championship, Io Shirai and Raquel Gonzalez in the main event. The UK Championship, Walter and Tommaso Ciampa. That was the issue. It's Walter's facing Ciampa on Monday and then this guy, Rampage Brown, pre-taped on Tuesday. So you have to assume he keeps the title against Champa. Otherwise, how is he going to defend it against someone else the next day? That's what I was talking about. Uh, NXT Tag Team Championship, as I mentioned, and, uh, MSK, Grizzled Young Veterans, and Legado del Fantasma for the vacant title. And then the North American Championship Gauntlet Eliminator to determine the number one contender. My guess is they do the Battle Royal next week on TV, and then the Gauntlet Eliminator in night one, and then the North American Championship match on night two. Speaking of night two, that is April 8th, the Thursday on Peacock, the NXT Championship Finn Balor versus Karrion Cross is a co-main event. Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly is an unsanctioned co-main event. The North American Championship, Johnny Gargano against the Gauntlet Eliminator winner and the Cruiserweight Championship, Santos Escobar versus Jordan Devlin in a ladder match that will be to unify the titles. As I said, the one match not yet announced, but we do expect to be booked is the Women's Tag Team Championship, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart versus The Way, which I do expect to be on night two. If you give us those first four matches on night one, you're exceedingly strong. Plus, you're going to do storylines and you're going to promote the second night on Peacock. And then on Peacock, you give a five-match takeover card. That's exactly how it should be booked. So that's my expectation. And, you know, it's tough because we've had some incredible single-night takeovers, as you all know. We could go down the line. NXT TakeOver New Orleans, Brooklyn, Brooklyn 2, whatever. 
But the potential for this two-night show is off the charts. It, it really has the potential to be the greatest event in NXT history if you combine them. I mean, you look at just this tag team match, the excitement that you can get from that. Walter and Champa beating the shit out of each other, possibly finally crowning Raquel Gonzalez and kind of taking the title off Io Shirai and moving on there, even though we love Io Shirai, but she's had a stranglehold on that division for the better part of a year. Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly, a work rate possible classic. Balor against Cross, the match we've been anticipating. And then Escobar versus Devlin in the ladder match. And that's not even me mentioning all the others on the card. This could really rock. It may end up being the event of the year. And it's going to be, it's going to end, you know, less than 48 hours before WrestleMania. And you wonder, despite WrestleMania looking pretty strong, how the hell is WrestleMania going to live up to TakeOver? And that's what we used to talk about. You know, last year there wasn't a TakeOver Mania week. But every year before, it's how the hell is WrestleMania going to live up to the takeover that's the night before? And it kind of feels like we're getting back to that, which, as someone who certainly enjoys NXT, as you guys all know, is very exciting. Now, we do have two more DMs just for NXT. I told you guys there's a lot uh, before we move on. Uh, ben Porges at Ben Porges says, Hey, Silver King, wanted to know your opinion on the gauntlet match announced for night one of NXT's takeover stand and deliver. In my opinion, gauntlet matches are usually stuff for TV shows and not one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. And second, with night two being a five-match card, assuming the women's tag team match, do you think they will add another match to night one? And if yes, which one? So the reason why this gauntlet match works on this TakeOver is because the first night of TakeOver is a TV show. That's exactly the reason why this makes sense. Also, this is not a typical gauntlet match. It's a gauntlet eliminator. So that means that Every three minutes, someone is going to come into the ring, regardless of whether the person prior to them gets eliminated. So it's going to wind up being a triple threat or a fatal four-way before all all is said and done. There's going to be six people. At the end, it'll probably be at least three or four people in the ring at the same time. So it's not exactly a gauntlet, but it is a gauntlet eliminator, and it is on television. So it really does fit kind of what you're saying. I don't know if you maybe realize that, but I wanted to explain that. No hate, just kind of letting you know. Uh, Do I think they add another match tonight? One, I actually don't. I think between commercials and the length of the matches that we just mentioned, to do all of that in a two-hour show where you're going to lose a lot of time to commercials, it's probably enough. I think we'll get you know some promos or promotion, like I said, for night two, but that's probably the extent of it. And then Lil underscore Nate at MT Stewart 4 he said, do you think Cole versus O'Reilly should main event night one instead of being on night two? To me, this will outshine the main event and no one is going to want to follow it. Well, Again, I kind of mentioned it's a co-main event for night two. So we don't actually know which match will be last. And I do expect Cole and O'Reilly to be the last match. I think Balor and Cross will be the one that's in that really secondary main event spot because I think they know as good as Cross's gimmick is from a wrestling standpoint, he doesn't necessarily evoke that same type of emotion. And if they do make Cole O'Reilly lose or leaves NXT, then I don't see how it doesn't main event. So my anticipation is we do ultimately get it in that final spot. So that's it from NXT. I mean, folks, this was one of the longest periods of time I've talked about NXT on the show without it being an ultimate preview. I gotta say, a barn burner of an episode. So much was set up, so many storylines, great matches booked. We were able to talk about TakeOver Stand and Deliver. It was just a banner episode for NXT, despite there actually not being any great matches on the show. The best match of the night, and I've said this 
on multiple shows recently. The best match of the night actually came in AEW once again. But NXT from a storytelling standpoint, from a wrestling entertainment standpoint, was so strong that I got to give them credit for being the best show of this particular Wednesday. Now, with all of that said, before we get to AEW Dynamite, I do need to remind you that promotional consideration for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for you, our listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code G-O-MAN at manscaped.com. This show is all about the big meaty men slapping meat, and Manscaped is all about protecting men's meat. They hooked us up with their perfect package 3.0, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. This trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology. From a lifetime of trimming down low, I can tell you I have never used something as good as this. Also in the perfect package 3.0 are some products to keep your balls dry and smelling fresh, along with some gifts, including a pair of really comfortable high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs, as well as a travel bag. Trim your junk, get 20% off and free shipping with the code G-O-MAN at manscaped.com. Each purchase directly supports the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. That is why we are giving you, again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code G-O-MAN. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. So with that, let's move over to AEW Dynamite, where, as John Moxley called it, the biggest storyline on the show was the melodrama within the former Bullet Club and the former Elite. The show opened, and there's a lot of different segments here to talk about, so I'm just going to go through them in order. Kenny Omega against Matt Seidel in a World Championship Eliminator non-title match. The match was a lot of fun. Seidel nearly beat Omega with the lightning spiral, which was an awesome like package Death Valley driver or something like that. Omega caught a meteor in thin air, followed with a powerbomb and a V-trigger. Seidel countered One-Winged Angel with a Poison Rana and did it again for an extremely close 2.9 count. But Omega finally hit the One-Winged Angel for the win. Fantastic opening match. I thought it was the match of the entire night across both shows. And Seidel looked the best he has so far in AEW. It's weird that He's able to take Kenny Omega to the limit, but in all these other matches he had, he is either beaten easily or just kind of run over a little bit. So I thought that was weird, but it was great. And no surprise that a match between Omega and Seidel tore the house down. This one absolutely did. Later in the show, we got a six-man tag team match, Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid against the Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler. There were like four straight moves outside of the ring. Uh, Ray Phoenix had a great senton Atomico and had a fantastic one-on-one encounter with Nick Jackson. But so much happened, and there were really long stretches without tags that if you actually listen to the crowd, the fans, they just started getting tired of it. Like, they just stopped really kind of caring about the match. It was extremely athletic, but it was also kind of ridiculous. Eventually, Laredo Kid hit an avalanche Spanish fly on Cutler for the win. I'm not 100% sure Laredo Kid was the legal man, but I think he was. Regardless, it was a really overindulgent match. It was just like 15 to 20% too far. Uh, Omega came down after the match and attacked Laredo Kid with his AEW title. He recalled leaving the place that loved him, New Japan, 
and not going to greener pastures in New York, WWE, and instead choosing to stay with the Young Bucks, not necessarily to start AEW, but to work with his best friends. He said he was insulted they didn't choose him back and gave them one last chance to throw up too sweet and kind of rekindle their relationship and be with him. The Bucks turned their backs on him and the Lucha Bros had a double super kick and assisted package pile driver to take Omega out. The Good Brothers came down to lift Omega up. I absolutely loved this. Not the match, as I said, but the Omega segment. We know he's a heel when it comes to Mox and AEW as a whole, but he's really not the heel side to me with the Bucks. He made complete sense and everything he said was 100% right. He He's the guy. He's the greatest wrestler in the world for most people, right? And he chose to leave New Japan, where he was universally praised and could put on banger matches, to go to AEW and for the first year of his career there, be in a tag team and kind of not be a featured guy. And he chose to turn down sick money from WWE to be in start AEW with the Young Bucks because they're his really good friends. That's accurate shit. I love when wrestlers play into reality with storylines. So it's really tough to side with the Bucks here. Plus to me, the Bucks are always heels. I don't see them as faces ever. So Omega just dominated that segment on the mic. It was one of his best promos that he's cut in forever. And I love that segment. I thought he just crushed it. So good kudos to Kenny Omega, man. He's really stepping up with the title and being this heel champion. It really suits him. The cleaner persona, the greatest wrestler in the world persona, it fits Omega so well, and I'm glad that they're doing it. Uh, Eddie Kingston backstage, or in a trailer actually, had his ankle in a brace and got heated while John Moxley asked how far the Bucks were willing to go with their war with Omega. He said that they owed the Bucks for saving them last week, but he doesn't like owing people and they better be ready to get their hands dirty. Typical good stuff from Kingston and Mox. They never really miss on the mic. And it seems like they're setting up eventually Mox and the Bucks against Omega and the Good Bros with Kingston being injured and at ringside eventually. It's not happening next week. That's going to be a Lucha Bros match, but it does seem like next uh, sooner than later that's going to happen. As far as everything else on the show, Hangman Page faced Cesar Bononi. Hangman won with the Buckshot Lariat. There was nothing wrong. It was a squash match. They're building Page's record, clearly, to challenge Omega down the line, and that's going to be the big money match. And I do ultimately think it'll be Page who beats Omega for the title. Lance Archer said he used to look up the Sting, but he's been taking Archer's time on the mic, which he hasn't because Sting doesn't talk. It was a good promo from Archer. Didn't go anywhere. There wasn't a challenge, so it was largely just a waste of time. Uh, Tony Schiavone introduced Britt Baker and basically begged the crowd to cheer for their match last week. After that, though, Baker cut a hell of a promo, taking shots at Thunder Rosa, Mick Foley, and Tony Khan. I wanted the audio. I couldn't find it easily to cut and play on the show. She absolutely dominated on the mic. It was great. She called out Khan for signing has-been legends when he has a legend right, you know, under his nose and her. Pretty smart line. It was a great stick work uh, by her. Best promo from any woman, I think, this entire year. I don't, I can't recall any other woman in AEW or even in WWE having a better promo than that. So one of the best women's matches of the year. And now, in my opinion, the best women's promo of the year from Britt Baker in back-to-back weeks. That's a lot of bees there. I almost stumbled over them. But nevertheless, kudos to her. It was great. Christian Cage was backstage talking to Top Flight and the Varsity Blondes. Frankie Kazarian approached and asked Christian when the work part of his outwork everyone catchphrase begins. They're going to fight next week. It's a good way for Christian to get his feet wet. But I got to say, and I, I told you guys this from the beginning, man, Christian, he doesn't move the needle for me. I know he's a legend and I know that, you know, he's a good worker. 
And I'm sure that he's helping AEW massively behind the scenes where he will with the talent. But in terms of a wrestler being relevant in 2021, I just don't care. Just being honest. When I see him on the screen, it's like, oh, okay, he's there. It's like Matt Hardy. It's like, oh, okay, he's there, right? But Matt Hardy's actually doing some things that at least now are pretty interesting. Uh, FTR and Sean Spears faced Dante Martin from Top Flight and the Varsity Blondes in a six-man tag match, another one. Spears hit a C4 running Death Valley driver for the win. Not purposely being short on some of these matches, by the way, when I break them down. Not much exciting happened in most of them. Obviously, I went long on the Omega one. I'll talk more about the Darby Allen one later, but most of these matches were just short and not particularly very good. Uh, Wardlow tried to do something after it was over with Brian Pillman Jr. off the top rope, but it looked like he botched it. Shivani interviewed the pinnacle. Dax Hardwood cut a ridiculously passionate and really strong promo. It was awesome. MJF called Chris Jericho fat, and that was basically it. Uh, Taz backstage or in a pre-taped segment said Brian Cage apologized to Team Taz for respecting Sting last week. Uh, Again, weird. Cage finally had the FTR title with him on his shoulder again, but it does seem like there's a little bit of dissension within the group, so we'll certainly see how that plays out. QT Marshall was interviewed by Shivani. (sighs) That's three Shivani interviews in the first 48 minutes of the show. I counted. It's just so repetitive. Uh, Marshall said he's done the second most work in AEW to Tony Khan and is angry that people just know him as Cody's friend. So he challenged Cody to an exhibition match next week. I don't know the difference between an exhibition match and a regular match. Um, maybe it doesn't count for the record, but why would you want to fight Cody and have it not count? I, I, I don't get it. Cody came out with his injured wing and his arm in a sling, uh, taking off his headset. He said Marshall can have the match and Arn Anderson will even be the referee, but he refuses to hurt QT because they are legitimately friends. QT's promo sucked. Cody's promo was actually pretty good. I don't want to see the match at all. I have no interest in it. I don't want to see them fight. I don't want to see them interact. I don't want to see QT Marshall cut promos. Uh, Jade Cargill cut a pretty strong taped promo calling herself, quote unquote, that bitch. She does seem to be like the real deal, I have to say, despite still being green. I'm not sure I'd go with that as a tagline. It feels very stereotypical if you think back to how Brandy Rhodes cut her promo on Jade Cargill. I, I didn't love that necessarily, but it's not maybe my place to know, to say whether I like that or not, but it just felt not right for me. Uh, Ty Conchi faced Nyla Rose. They call her Conti on uh, AEW, but it's Conchi. That's her name. She's Brazilian, but okay. Uh, the women may have put on a banger in the main event last week, but they were back to the single segment in the seventh quarter hour with a double commercial break. Once again, the match was actually pretty good. Conchi had a hammerlock DD Tay is what she calls it for the surprising but exciting win. Uh, Rose attacked Kanchi after and Hikaru Shida made the save with a kendo stick. Bunny came down, grabbed it, and attacked both of them. So we're going to get a tag team match with all four of them next week. Uh, Matt Hardy came out with Butcher and Blade and cut a short, kind of confusing promo, but he is now the leader of HFO, Hardy Family Office, which is him, those three I mentioned, and Private Party. It's actually a pretty good name for a faction. And I'm kind of curious to see what he does as this big money Matt persona with all of these people. But I think I said this last week. It is so strange that Butcher, Blade, and Bunny can't just exist on their own. They have to be with someone else. And can they not cut promos? Do they not have that ability? They're pretty good in the ring. I like watching all of them. And I think the gimmick's actually pretty good. It's just weird that they always have to be with someone else. And it doesn't feel like it fits the HFO kind of team to have them. It feels like they could have gone out and found some other people that were kind of closer to... Um, maybe stereotype or, or just maybe expectation for what a big money Matt stable would look like. 
There was a video game focused promo with Chuck, Orange Cassidy, Kip Sabian, and of course, at the end, Miro was screaming, Game over! Zero point zero. Scorpio Sky said his days of being underrated are over while promoting an AEW Dark Elevation match against the Lesser Seidel. I think it's Mike Seidel. It was a good promo, but a big shrug, ultimately. And then in the main event, we had the TNT Championship Darby Allen defending against John Silver from the Dark Order. Silver got pumped up backstage with Dark Order. I'm wondering is it, if it's possible that Dark Order is a little bit too dorky now. The comedy's great, and I find them funny, and I get what they're kind of doing. They've, they're much improved from the faction that we got when they kind of first debuted back at the end of like 2019, but it's really over the top for me, and I kind of wish they were a little bit more serious, if that makes sense. Dark Order surrounded Darby and Silver at one point, so Sting walked out with his bat and did nothing. It's a face faction, so it didn't make sense why Sting needed to be there having Darby Allen's back when these guys are not going to attack him in the first place. Shivani messed his pants with excitement, calling Sting, you know, making an entrance to save Darby or be there in Darby's corner. It was just so over the top. Like, I get Shivani saying it's Sting and how people marked out for it the very first time, but every single time, it's it's getting to levels of boss time and big dog Michael Cole. It really is. It, it is on that level already. So if you're, again, if you're going to criticize one thing, you got to criticize the other here. Uh, Sting was dead center in the middle of the camera for the final six minutes of TV, I presume so people wouldn't change the channel or something like that. And there's no harm necessarily with pulling ratings gimmicks, right? Like we just talked about a couple of weeks ago, Raw doing like, hey, there's going to be a match at, you know, they're going to open the show. There's going to be a match at nine. There's going to be a match at 10. Okay, there's going to be a match in the main event of the uh, 10 p.m. hour. And they kept and retained viewers the whole time. So credit to WWE for doing that. But this was just like so blatant that Sting was standing on the stage right in the middle of the action, pacing back and forth. It actually legitimately distracted me from the match. I was watching Sting and not seeing good work that Darby Allen and John Silver were doing together. Uh, Darby and Silver did good work though, ultimately. It was good to see Darby against a similarly sized guy for once who was strong enough to throw him around at the same time. Darby hit a backwards coffin drop from the top rope over the ring post into Dark Order outside. They didn't catch him very well. It was a little bit scary. Uh, Silver had Darby pinned, but pushed Darby's legs into the ropes while covering for like no reason. It was an unforced error. And then Darby won with the code red. One of you wrote in previously saying it was weird how Darby won so frequently with pinning combinations rather than his actual finisher. This was another example of that, even though a code red is basically a Canadian destroyer and it's like a signature move of his. I don't mind when Darby rolls up or folds over bigger guys because it is kind of tough sometimes to believe that he's going to beat these much bigger dudes. But against a smaller dude like Silver, I kind of wish he beat him a lot cleaner. Like Silver is not a guy built up to the level where Darby should not be able to hit his signature move, hit his finisher, get the clean one, two, three in the middle of the ring and look strong. As a TNT champion, he actually has not been built very strong, which is unfortunate. But after the match, they fist bumped. It turns out Silver may have hurt his shoulder to some degree, and they're checking on that to see how severe it is. So hopefully he is okay or recovers and is back very soon. After the match, Hardy pilled Darby out of the ring, and Darby Sting, Dark Order, and the Hardy family office all brawled. Chaos for chaos sake. AEW does that a lot at the end of the show. Very attitude era WCW Nitro, and that's fine. Uh, I thought there was some great stuff in the episode, 
But I really had an issue with the main event. And if you go back to everything I just talked about, look about how many things were kind of just like wasted time in lieu of giving us a really good match or a really good segment. Hangman Page and Cesar Bononi, um, the FTR six-man tag team match, the Taz promo, the QT Marshall stuff, the Scorpio Sky promo, the, the video game promo. I mean, it was just one after another of just things that if you cut a couple of them and gave me one larger segment, it would have been a lot better. I'd like to see Scorpio Sky get an in-ring promo where someone comes out and challenges him and they set a match rather than just give me five seconds of him pre-taped backstage. That's really what I'm getting at. And last but not least here for AEW, during the show, they promoted a new reality series on TNT featuring Cody and Brandy Rhodes called Rhodes to the Top. You gotta love, seriously, how TNT likes Cody so much and is really buying in on him. He's on the Go Home show. I think that's on TBS or True TV. Uh, He's getting his own reality show. They're doing AEW. There's supposed to be another hour of AEW TV coming up on a Turner network sooner than later. It is kind of funny, and I, you know, I just got to say it, that TNT is fully buying into this dude. Yet Cody got that god-awful tattoo on the side of his neck. And it's like, man, you, he has to regret that tattoo. I'm not saying don't get it. Get it on your chest, on your arm, on your leg, on your torso. You can put it anywhere. But smack dab on the side of your neck. At that size, you have to think TNT wishes he didn't have that. And you have to think Cody maybe wishes he didn't have that. Anyway, this could be interesting. I do like Miz and Mrs. the best out of any of the wrestling reality shows because it's not reality and it's pure comedy. Like the Miz purposely does things that aren't part of their real lives to create comedy for the show. And I know most reality shows invent scenarios and put people in certain places, restaurants and and situations to create quote unquote reality television. But Miz and Mrs. is purposely comedic, whereas Total Bellas and Total Divas, for example, are not. And I don't enjoy those nearly as much. In fact, I've never even seen Total Divas. I watched Total Bellas. I, I started watching it mostly because of Daniel Bryan and John Cena. I thought it was pretty interesting. And now that I've seen all the episodes, I just keep watching it for reasons. And Daniel Bryan's still on there. So it's still occasionally interesting. But this probably, I think, is going to fit into that category, more of a Total Bellas, Total Divas, where they don't focus on just comedy. They focus more on the drama of their lives. And I'm not saying it'll be bad. I'll definitely give it a shot, but it's probably gonna wind up being background noise for me like those shows are more than something that I actually like look forward to in Ms. and Mrs. where I watch it and chuckle occasionally. So we'll see if it works. We'll see if there's an interest level in them outside of just the wrestling fans. I'm sure that AEW fans will watch it, uh, but we'll see what kind of rating it does and how long it lasts. It'll be pretty interesting to see. So that's it. Uh, Full breakdown, of course, as we always do, of NXT and AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. The reports are that NXT will indeed be moving to Tuesdays after WrestleMania. I believe the first show will be April 13th. So we will have to adjust, or I should say I will have to adjust my TV viewing schedule on how I, you know, take care of that. But I think from a podcasting standpoint, we will continue to do WWE on Tuesday and NXT slash AEW on Thursday, if we can wait a number of days for SmackDown to talk about it, we can certainly wait one additional day for NXT to talk about it. So that will be the expectation. But for now, we do have at least two more Wednesday episodes of NXT, and we have a loaded WrestleMania 
or Road to WrestleMania, I guess. Schedule coming up for you next week. The plan as of right now is to have a WWE episode on Tuesday and our NXT and AEW episode on Thursday. I should note that NXT AEW episode next week will probably serve as the ultimate preview for TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Then we get into WrestleMania week. Tuesday will be our WrestleMania ultimate preview. We will probably skip AEW that week and do a double AEW episode the following week because we're gonna need to do instant analysis of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Thursday after night two. And then Sunday after night two of WrestleMania, we will do instant analysis of WrestleMania. Now there could be a extra go-home show perhaps after uh, SmackDown on Friday. We could have interviews next week or WrestleMania week where we add additional episodes. All I know is we are gonna be absolutely packed with content over the next two weeks. So there is no better time than now to go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show. And there is no better time to tell your friends, family, people on wrestling forums, Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, anyone you know, they need to subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast going forward, but especially because we are going to be absolutely dominating. Dominating on WrestleMania. That is the goal. And last but not least, as always, do not forget to follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you can follow the Silver King if you search at Silverstein Adam. It has been a loaded show today talking all things NXT and AEW. I appreciate all of you listening. As always, do not miss, by the way, our instant analysis of WWE Fastlane and our WWE episode from this past week. So with that, the Silver King is going to bid you, edge you, and leave you with three final words. Bye for now.